we've been reading through the book of 1 Corinthians together in our small groups and on Sunday mornings. And uh, this week we're getting to chapters 10 and 11 in the, in the letter from Paul to the church in Corinth. And, and this is where we finally get to this section in his letter in which he talks about the Lord's Supper. And so uh, what I want to do today is I, I just want to talk about, uh, about Jesus and the reality that throughout the Gospels we read that he was eating and drinking with people all the time. And, and we're going to set that up, and then in a little bit, we'll get to 1 Corinthians. So if you follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be all over the place, so you better have those, those trigger fingers ready to flip the pages, because we'll be everywhere a little bit today. I was thinking this week, you know, it's almost Thanksgiving time. How many of you remember growing up and having to sit at a kid's table for Thanksgiving, okay? Yeah, a whole bunch of us. And I don't know if your emotion was like mine, but when I was a kid and I had to sit at that little square card table with my cousins, I hated that. Anybody else hate it? You loved it? Okay, well, you just ruined my, my, my illustration. I hated the kid's table. You hated it too, Jody? Thank you for hating it with me. What is it, Pam? Oh, you didn't have to eat anything you didn't... I did. Ugh. Sweet potatoes. Rule in my family was you always had to take a bite. My grandpa said, I remember this very, very, very clearly at Thanksgiving, my grandpa said, the sweet potatoes. These are grandpa's favorite sweet potatoes. And I looked at him and I said, I don't like grandpa's favorite potatoes. Anyway, I hated the kids' table. A- anyway, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to grow up and be mature enough to be able to sit at the adult's table with everybody else. And, and I'll tell you, the biggest thing for me was I felt like I was a second-class citizen if I wasn't sitting at, 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 the, at the adult table. Now, I, what I'm learning is you had a very different growing up experience than I did. But I wanted to feel like I was a full, participate, full participant at the table. Didn't want to be a second-class Thanksgiving feaster. And, and the reason I'm sharing this story with you is because there's a very important question I want to ask this morning, and it's this. Who is invited to Jesus' table? Who is invited to Jesus' table? In, in my experience, and again, your experience is probably very different from mine, but from my experience... When, when we approach the Lord's table, there's been a clear distinction in a lot of places that I've been between people who were invited to the table and people who were excluded from the table. And I really want to ask this question with authenticity this morning. Who is invited? And are there people who would be excluded from Jesus' table? So I, I want to take you to four accounts in the Gospels Uh, uh, of times when Jesus was inviting people to the table. And I want us to make some observations from these four accounts from the Gospels. And then at the end, we're going to get to 1 Corinthians and read what Paul wrote about the Lord's table. And and then we're going to eat and drink together. I want to start in in the Gospel of Matthew. And in chapters 14 and 15, we read these accounts of Jesus feeding the multitudes. 
Now, now this account is, is repeated in several different Gospels. It's interesting, in Matthew's Gospel, there's two different accounts. Evidently, this was something Jesus did more than once, and I think it's really, really cool. He just fed huge crowds of, t- uh, of people. And in Matthew chapter 15, uh, there was this huge crowd, and they'd been with Jesus for a long period of time, and it says that Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I feel sorry for these people, They've been with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. So evidently people were packing lunches, but they'd run out of food. And Jesus said this, I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. And so they gathered up what they had. It was just a few fish and some loaves of bread. And and Jesus began to divide the bread, and the disciples began to distribute the bread, and it's so incredible. Every account has this phrase. It says, everyone there ate as much as they wanted. Everyone there ate as much as they wanted, and then they picked up the leftovers, and there was this huge abundance of food left over. And again, I'm probably different than you, but I love leftovers, so that's always good news. But, but here's the deal. Here's what triggered this miracle of Jesus. People were hungry. People were hungry, and so Jesus fed them. And this is what I see, and, and, and you can check me. If you want to go to Matthew 14 and 15, check me. It, it appears to me in, in these accounts that everyone that was there was invited to eat as much as they wanted. No one was excluded from the table. Everyone was invited to eat as much as they wanted. Now, the crowds were in the thousands of people. It's possible that with women and children that there were even tens of thousands of people. So in crowds that big, I know there were some skeptics. They weren't excluded when Jesus started passing out food. There were probably some outsiders, some Samaritans, or some non-Jewish people, some people that weren't considered insiders in the religion of the day. Nothing in the account says they were excluded. And, And here's the other thing. I know there were children there, and children weren't excluded from the table. And this is what I want you to hear today about the Lord's table. If you are hungry, if you are hungry, you are invited to Jesus' table. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your experience has been. If you are hungry, and now I'm talking about a spiritual hunger. Of course, Jesus was feeding physically hungry people, but I'm talking this morning about spiritual hunger. If you have something inside of you that is saying, I need more, I need something of Jesus, I need something to feed my soul, I want you to know this morning, you are invited to Jesus' table because Jesus doesn't leave anybody out. I have this vivid memory of of growing up, and and I grew up in a great church. It it was a little funky. Every church has its funk, okay? So so I'm not bashing anybody. But I I grew up in in a church, and and, and I remember this one particular Sunday as, uh, as the people began to distribute the communion to everybody and I wanted to participate. I wanted to be in, included in, in eating and drinking and remembering the Lord in communion. 
And, and my mother put her hand on my knee and she said, no, not you. And I looked around the room and I saw all my friends who were the same age as me and they were all taking the cup and the bread and their parents were kind of assisting and helping them. And, and my parents said no. Because in the church I grew up in, there was this understanding that when you got to a certain age and you got to a certain spiritual understanding, then you could participate, but until then you were excluded. And I'm looking back on that memory, and, and no disrespect to my mom and my dad, because they were just, they were just following their convictions, okay? So I, I, I love my mom and dad, love them. But I've been looking back on that, that experience and remembering what that communicated to me as a child, it communicated to me that I am not worthy to come to Jesus' table. And it's just the opposite of what I see in Matthew 14 and 15, where there were hungry children and Jesus fed them. So this morning, I just want to say to you, if you're hungry today, come to the table. Come to the table. It's for you. Let's go to another account. This one is in Luke chapter 19. I touched on this last week. I, I, I told you the story of Zacchaeus. It's one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. Zacchaeus was this short little man who, who heard that Jesus was coming through his, his town, and he was so excited to see Jesus. But because he was little, he had to climb a tree to see Jesus. Really demonstrated to Jesus, I think, spiritual hunger. And, and when Jesus saw him, he called him out by name, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm going to come to your house for dinner tonight. And so he called him down out of the tree, and he went, and he had supper at, Zac at Zacchaeus' house. And, and this is what Luke says about that event uh, in Luke 19. Luke said, the people were displeased. Now, this is interesting because it's not even just the spiritual leaders. The people in general were displeased because they said, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Okay, Zacchaeus wasn't just a sinner. Zacchaeus was a notorious sinner. Why do you think that was the perception of all the people? Well, Zacchaeus, according to Luke, was a tax collector. And as a tax collector, he would have been a Jewish person who was working for Rome. Rome was the occupying government that the Jews hated. And so they saw Zacchaeus as a traitor and a turncoat. He was the guy nobody wanted to, to, to be around. And not only that, but Luke tells us that Zacchaeus had become very, very wealthy. And if I know anything about the world, I know that really poor people usually really dislike wealthy people, especially if wealthy people have gotten rich off the backs of the poor people. This was the situation. They hated Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus had cheated them, he had lied to them, he had stolen their money as a tax collector. He was a notorious sinner. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus doesn't call Zacchaeus down out of the tree and say, Zacchaeus, listen, you're a bad man and you need my forgiveness, so I need you to pray to me right now. Okay, that's not how the account goes. He calls Zacchaeus down at the tree and he invites himself over for dinner. It wasn't Zacchaeus' idea. It was Jesus' idea to come over to his house for dinner. 
And this is what I want you to know this morning. If you're here today and you are a sinner, even a notorious sinner, maybe you've done some really bad stuff in your life, you're invited to Jesus' table. Actually, that's not accurate. If you're a notorious sinner, Jesus is inviting himself into your life to have dinner with you. He's going to come into your world. That's how much Jesus cares about you. I remember church years ago, whenever we would have communion, and a lot of you are my age or older, you probably remember this too, and, and the pastor would usually read these really scary portions out of the Bible, usually out of 1 Corinthians. We'll get there. And the pastor would warn people, don't eat, don't drink. If you're a sinner, you're not invited. And then they would pass out the communion and the sinners would sit there and they wouldn't participate. Is that consistent with what we see in Jesus' life with Zacchaeus? That's not consistent. Jesus actually invited himself into Zacchaeus' house and he had dinner with him. And then you know what happened? You know what the end of the story is? Zacchaeus then said, you know what? My life has been changed. I've met Jesus and I'm gonna give away half of my wealth to poor people. If I've cheated anybody out of their taxes, I'm gonna return to them what I've... He had a life change after he encountered Jesus. He didn't have to have a life change before Jesus would eat and drink with him Sometimes I think we get it way backwards. Jesus, is ch Jesus changes us after we come to him. And if you're here today and you feel like you are unworthy because of whatever it is in your life, I want you to know today you're invited to the table. You're not excluded. That's who Jesus is. Okay, here's the, th the third account. Number three. This is one I love to talk about. Breakfast on the beach, John 21. This, this story in John 21 needs a little bit of setup. Uh, this is at the very end of John's gospel. It's the last chapter of John's gospel. This account isn't included in any of the other three gospels, but it's so beautiful. Jesus has already died and risen from the dead. He's already appeared to the disciples. And then John chapter 21 is like this postscript in, in the story of Jesus. And, and there are several disciples in this chapter, it says, that went back to the Sea of Galilee to go fishing. This had been their occupation before they began following Jesus. And for, utter, for whatever reason, we're not told why, but they went back to the Sea of Galilee, they found a, a boat, they got in and they began fishing. Maybe they needed to earn some money, I don't know what it was. But they'd been fishing all night, didn't catch anything. And in the morning, the sun comes up and Jesus calls to them out on the water and he says, if you put your nets out on the other side, you're gonna catch a, a bunch of fish. If you put your nets on the other side and immediately Peter recognized that it was Jesus. Now, you remember Peter, maybe, if you've, you've heard the story, if you've read the Gospels. Peter is the disciple who, when Jesus was on trial, Peter was the one that was standing around the fire in the courtyard. And people kept saying, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter denied that he was following Jesus. He denied that he even knew Jesus. He even used curse words 
to emphasize his point that he didn't know Jesus. He was an unfaithful friend to Jesus. And one of the gospel accounts is so poignant. It says that after Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus looked and caught his eye and, and there was that overwhelming sense of shame that came over Peter. So now fast forward, Jesus has died, Jesus has risen again. Jesus is calling to the disciples in the boat from the beach. Peter just throws his clothes off, jumps in the water and swims as fast as he can to get to Jesus. And what does he find when he gets to the beach? Jesus is cooking fish and bread over a charcoal fire. Again, here's Peter, Jesus' unfaithful friend. And Jesus has made a table for Peter and for these other disciples that had been on the water. Didn't, didn't matter that Peter had completely blown it. Didn't matter that Jesus had warned him ahead of time that it, he was going into a danger zone and Peter walked into it anyway. Didn't matter. Jesus came and here's the bread, here's the fish. I've got everything ready for you. Come and eat with me. And then there's this tender exchange between Jesus and Peter where Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And this is what I think we need to hear from this, this account this morning is this. If you've been unfaithful to the Lord, you are still invited to Jesus' table. Maybe you're here today and, and you have strayed away Maybe you were a Christian and you were following Jesus years ago, but, but at some point you decided, uh, I'm, I'm going to take this, this side road. I'm going to take a detour. And you're here today and you feel the shame. You can identify with Peter because you've done some things, you've said some things, you've denied Jesus as your friend. And you don't know if Jesus will take you back. I want you to know from these stories in the Gospels, Jesus consistently invited even unfaithful people to come and join him at the table. So come to the table today. Let me take you to one more account before we get to 1 Corinthians. This is in Matthew chapter 26. And this is the account in Matthew's gospel of the Last Supper. This event in Jesus' life is, is recorded in all four Gospels. And here in Matthew, it tells the story of how Jesus was, was preparing to celebrate the Passover with his disciples, and they sent, he sent them ahead to get the room ready, to get the meal ready, and everything was, was being put together. And then they sat down at the table, and they began eating this traditional Jewish meal that happened every year. And, and the meal started with Jesus saying, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And this was so upsetting to the disciples. The idea that somebody would actually be a traitor and would betray Jesus. And so they began jostling with one another and looking at each other and they were saying, am I the one Lord? Am I the one Lord? And eventually what Jesus said is he identified that Judas was going to be the one that was going to betray him. And, and then it's interesting in Matthew's narrative, there's no break in the story. 
Jesus identifies Judas as being the traitor, and then right immediately after that, Matthew tells us as they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and he blessed it, and then he broke it in pieces, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said this, take this and eat it, for this is my body. Now, if you're a church person, this might be really familiar to you. You've probably heard that phrase before, take and eat this, this is my body. But if you ever stop to ask yourself, what does this mean? Take this bread, this is my body. I believe that the meaning behind this is that what Jesus was saying is, I'm starting something. I'm starting something. Now, understand, he was, he was going to be crucified very soon after this Last Supper. And, and he's saying, this is my body, and my body is going to be given for you. Jesus' body, we know, was completely sinless. He was born without sin. He never sinned. He was absolutely perfect. And he was giving it to these sinful, failing human beings and, and he was saying, take my body. It was like this exchange, okay? Jesus was saying, you take my sinlessness and I will take your sin to myself. I believe this is really what the meaning of take this and eat it, this is my body. He's saying, I am going to give you a gift. Everything that I am is going to be deposited in you. Take this bread, it's my body. And then he goes on and, and he, he says he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it and he gave that to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood and I think this is so interesting. This is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Now, we don't really understand covenant so much in 21st century America, but in, in ancient days, whenever people would enter into a covenant, it was always confirmed by a sacrifice that involved the shedding of blood, an animal, an animal sacrifice, and the pouring out of blood. And what Jesus was saying is there's a new covenant that's happening right now between you and me, and it's confirmed in the blood that's going to be shed on the cross. Jesus saw so clearly exactly what was going to happen. He knew what his mission was. He knew why he was there. And he, he, he was giving the disciples this, this cup. And he was saying, listen, the new covenant is this. It's forgiveness. It's wholeness. It's restoration. It means your, your sins are washed away because there's a new covenant. The old covenant was a covenant in which you had to pay the penalty for your own sins. If you messed up, you had to go to the temple and you have to figure out how, how you're going to pay for it with a dove or a goat or a lamb or whatever. There's always this cause and effect and there's always this sense that I can never quite be good enough for God. Jesus came with this new covenant and said, my blood is going to be shed for the forgiveness so once and for all you can be made whole. You never have to pay the penalty for your sins ever again. And here's the kicker. Judas was at the table. Jesus didn't say, Judas, would you please excuse yourself? You're not included here. 
We know Judas was at the table. We know that after this, this event was over, they sang a hymn and they went to the Mount of Olives and everything, it was just like fast forward, just, just clicked into place and Judas did betray Jesus, but not before he had shared the Last Supper with Jesus. Do you know what that means for you and me? It means this. Even if you have made yourself Jesus' enemy, you are still invited to Jesus' table. And I don't know if there's anybody here today that feels like a Judas. I think most of us identify more with Peter than we do with Judas. But I have known people in my life who have literally declared war on Jesus. And I believe that if that's you, and you feel like you have made yourself an enemy of Jesus, I believe it's not too late for you. I believe Jesus is still inviting you to the table. Will you come today? It's not too late. Now, if you've got your Bibles, uh, or if you've got a device with a Bible app on it, I want to invite you to go to 1 Corinthians 11. I shared those four accounts with you because I wanted to set this up as some context for what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And, and uh, this whole section in 1 Corinthians is important uh, but what, what we have tended to do in many churches is pull specific verses out of context. And because we pulled them out of context, we have misapplied or misunderstood the meaning. So I'm going to do that right now with you. I'm going to pull a couple of verses out of context, and then we're going to talk about the context and put them in its proper context. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm doing? So I'm going to start in the middle, Okay. Verse 27 is where I want to start reading. Paul says this to the, the Christians in Corinth. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way, everybody say unworthy. unworthy. Whoever eats or drinks in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Whew, that's strong, isn't it? But a person must examine him, himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29, for the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. The King James Version, if you were raised in King James, it says, the one who eats and drinks in an unworthy way eats damnation to himself. Okay, I grew up with those words. Scared the hell out of me. Didn't mean that to be offensive, I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? The one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body. Now the body is a key word here. What does the word body mean? Hang on to that, we'll come back to it. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number are asleep. And that word asleep is a euphemism for people who have died. 
Paul says there is judgment on the Christians at Corinth because they have been eating and drinking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. Now, in in a lot of churches that I've been a part of, how this has been applied, especially when we just pull this out of context, is, is that means, man, if you, ha, have you done something bad this week? Did you stub your, your toe and say a bad word? Okay. Did you lose your temper at your teacher this week and, and do something awful? Did you punch your sister in the eye? Did you steal something at work? I, I mean, all kinds of, did you do something bad this week? Then don't eat and drink because you're going to be damned if you eat and drink, because you are a bad person. Now, am I the only one? Some of you are looking at me with big white eyes. This is how I was raised. Okay? And, and so even, even in our church, here, here at Connect Church, from time to time, uh, as we're celebrating communion and as we're eating and drinking, I, I watch some people not participate. And if I've had the opportunity to have a conversation, sometimes... People will say to me, Pastor Russ, I just didn't feel worthy today. I just couldn't, I couldn't participate. And so what I want to ask today is what makes a person unworthy? Because we've just looked at these four accounts of Jesus in the Gospels. We've just looked at him feeding the multitudes. Everybody ate until they were full. We saw Zacchaeus, a notorious sinner. Jesus didn't exclude him. In fact, he chased him down and came to dinner. He, he, he made breakfast on the beach for Peter. And even Judas was invited to the table. So what makes a person unworthy? Well, if it doesn't make sense, we've got to do a little deeper digging. Okay? So here's where I want to back up now to the beginning of this passage. If you've got your Bible open, now go to verse 20. Here's what Paul is saying to the Corinthian Christians. Therefore, when you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Hmm, that's odd. For when you eat, each one takes his own supper first, and one goes hungry while another gets drunk. Okay, what's he describing? The Corinthian Christians would have these big church dinners. Man, here at Connect, we love church dinners don't we? Our, our potlucks and our barbecues on the patio, we have so much fun, okay? What was happening in Corinth is people were coming and some people were coming early with the food that they were contributing and they were eating it all and getting the wine that was provided and they were getting drunk before anybody else showed up. What does that sound like to you? Selfishness. What Paul is saying is, hey, Christians in Corinth, You've made communion all about yourself. Verse 22 says, what? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What am I going to say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I do not praise you. They were so selfish. Paul is rebuking them. Verse 33. Oh, so, so then, hang on. I got ahead of myself. So that was verse 22, I think. Anybody got a Bible? Check my work. 22, okay. 22. Then he goes on and describes the Lord's Supper. The Lord passed on to me what I'm passing on to you. Describes the whole thing. And then he has that part in there about 
if you eat or drink in an unworthy way, you're going to incur judgment upon yourself? What's he talking about? He's talking about people who are selfish. Remember when I told you to hang on to the word body? He said, if you don't discern the body, is he talking about the bread? He's talking about the body of, he's talking about us. If you're selfish, when you come together for the Lord's table and it's all about you, you're eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. Because it isn't all about you. It's about us. And the presence of Jesus with us. And then this is how he ends this section. Verse 33 and 34. So then, brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you do not come together for judgment. When I was studying this week, I was wondering if this is why we just have tiny little pieces of cracker in an itty-bitty little cup. I don't think so, but I don't know. The point is this, what makes a person unworthy? What makes a person unworthy? What is Paul addressing here? What makes us unworthy is when we come together and we make it all about me. Instead of understanding this is an opportunity for us to serve one another in love and help everybody experience the presence of Jesus. What is the bread? The bread is Jesus' sinless body that he's giving as a gift. What is the cup? The cup is the blood that confirms the new covenant. And who is it for? It's for everybody to experience the presence of Jesus. cool, isn't it? So I want to invite you this morning, whoever you are, wherever you're at, I don't care how old you are today, you are invited to come to the table. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray right here. And then we're gonna come together. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you for the open invitation that you extend to the most extraordinary people It doesn't matter how far we've strayed. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how many times we failed and tried again. We're invited back to the table again today. Jesus, it's extraordinary. And Jesus, I want to say thank you for the new covenant. This covenant in which I don't have to pay for my own sins. I don't have to try to be good enough for me to come to the table Thank you, Jesus, that even right now as I'm praying, I, I know that you are beginning to come into our houses 
our, our hearts, our minds. You're inviting yourself in and you're saying, come on, just, just come and eat and drink with me today. Jesus, thank you for that invitation. And today, Lord, as we eat and drink together in this church community, I pray that you will reveal your powerful presence to every one of us. Help us to experience what you're giving to us, selflessly from you to us. Help us to experience all of it today, Jesus.